Welcome to another episode of the No Feeding Tubes Show. I'm your host, Yvonne McLaren, and I'm here to help you live your best food life following or during head and neck cancer treatment. Thanks for listening and hanging out with me here today. This is a lived experience and one that I think is better shared. And what do I know? Well, in late 2018, I was diagnosed with oropharyngeal cancer and I went on to have a third of my tongue removed, both tonsils, the tumour, 30 lymph nodes and 30 chemoradiotherapy sessions. I also had a peg tube feed for 15 months and ate nothing orally in that time. So grab your favourite beverage or your walking shoes and let's get started. Joining me today is episode 23 of the No Feeding Tubes show and I've entitled this How Choking Changed My Life. And at the time of recording... um, or the time you're listening this, we're a couple of days away from World Head and Neck Cancer Awareness Day. And I thought this was a really good topic to discuss and talk about my experience with you. And it also is an opportunity for me to talk to you about my new e-guide, which I'm uh, about to launch on World Head and Neck Cancer Day, unless you subscribe uh, to my website and as a subscriber you get access to it a little bit earlier and you get access to a special subscriber rate plus a little bonus that I'm going to pop in there for you just for being a subscriber. So although the official launch of the e-guide is on July 27, um, using the links below if you're watching this on YouTube you can subscribe there which means that you'll be in the loop for when I officially notify of the official launch as well as how you can access a special rate. How choking changed my life? I'm going to talk about three things today and it's something that one of my students said to me some time ago, really early on in my personal head and neck cancer treatment journey of healing, and it was about the fact that there were really three diets, and they are eating to survive, eating to maintain, and eating to live. And I thought about that after I spoke with him, and I thought, you know, he's right, there really are three quite distinct types of eating that we go through in this journey of head and neck cancer treatment. And the eating to survive time, and I've got to think back a little bit for me, but that's the time when you're losing weight, you're feeling nauseous, and you've just lost all interest in your food. You know, there's, you've got you know, things don't smell right, things don't taste right, things don't taste and smell the way they used to and as you remember them and food memory creates all sort of anxiety and um, issues that you didn't think about beforehand and that was the time when I wrote something and I found this in a journal and for those that know me know that I'm a writer and I do journal things uh, and I like to look back a year later 
or a year ahead and think where was I then and what's happened and how's life improved and it gives you a bit of a way of measuring life I guess um, but I wrote this a year ago and this was very much um, somewhere between the eat to survive and the eat to maintain food journey for me and I quote I'm tired I'm tired of fighting to survive, fighting and struggling to eat, converse and swallow. I'm not looking forward to anything. I hate going out, trying to socialise, talk, eat, breathe and be with anyone. Sleep, when it comes, is a temporary relief from this relentless suffering. Now, I wrote that. Uh, sometime in 2019 and 2019 for me just before the pandemic hit was my darkest darkest time I was in the hurt locker I was in a world of pain and I was in this place of food desert I didn't know what I was doing I didn't know how to go about trying to improve my lot in life I just didn't get it I didn't understand it Everything that was happening to me was new to me, it was scary, it was frightening, it was depressing, it was... And there was no one that really knew what the hell it was I was going through. I mean, you know, if you're like me, you know, you don't have a close friend who's going through this at the same time. You might afterwards because you've met other people that are going through it, but... You know, I just found that a really dark, dark place. And for me, that was the time between eating to survive and eating to maintain. And I wrote that little little bit in my journal and um, I just thought it was relevant for today's episode about how choking changed my life. So eating to survive, and for me, that was when I had my peg tube. I was still using commercial formula. I wasn't eating anything orally. Um, I completely disconnected with food. Um, you know, it was just a really dark, horrible time. So when I got to um, eating to maintain, and that was when I'd sort of reconnected with food a bit, and I was forcing myself to eat so that I could get off that damn peg tube that I just did not want. That transition process for me was really difficult as well. I didn't really know how to go from eating, well, eating, pouring commercial formula into my peg tube, into my abdomen, to actually using utensils, to put them in my mouth and actually chew and swallow food to maintain my weight and to ensure that I was healing well with lots of good fats and proteins and food that I could actually physically swallow. Now, I'm a foodie. I'm a chef. I've been around food all my life. I found that so hard. I thought, wowzers, if you don't know anything about food and you don't know what to use in your local area or buy at your market to ensure that you're meeting those milestones that your dietitian or your speech-language pathologist is telling you, how on earth do you do this? This is such a lonely, solitary process. So it was about then I started thinking, 
I'm going to write a book now, and as it happens, I've written two. And this new e-guide that I'm going to launch on World Head and Neck Cancer Day is the process that I documented through my three-phase eating stage, the eating to survive, eating to maintain, and eating to live, how I did it, what I did, all the things that I learned as a result of going through that process, and I created this e-guide for other people um, to help you through this process because it's awful, it's crappy, it's not a great thing to have to go through and um, you already know this if you have not been through this it's really hard you can empathize with people but you just don't really understand the anxiety the depression the loneliness the social isolation Um, well you know I could bang on about that all day so episode 23 this is all about how choking really did change my life I was sitting doing something, I think I was writing the program, my actual um, online program, the Mind Food Body program, and as I was doing it, I was recording as I am today, and I was trying to eat um, (laughs) some chicken noodle soup that I'd made here at home, Uh, and I know it was winter because I remember being cold and I know that weather temperature affects my speech and my ability to swallow and whether I've got a sore tongue or a sore jaw or a sore ear or a sore throat. I can remember sitting here going, I can't swallow bloody chicken soup. Um, I, I choked on it and it went up the back of my nose, it came out my nose and it just dripped all over the page and I started sobbing. I was I was so lonely, I was so depressed and this chicken soup was just literally dripping out of my nose and I remember looking up and I'd taken a photo of myself on my computer and I have that photo today and I actually use it in my program um, in a section where I talk to you about how to transition off your peg back to oral eating. So it was about that point I thought, right, I'm going to get this program nailed down so that I can take people step by step through this process so that they don't feel so alone as I am at the moment. And I know now that you take three steps backwards two steps forwards, three back, two. You know, it's a process. Some days are just better than others and other days it's just not successful at all. So eating to live, this is kind of the third stage once you've gone through the other two, eating to survive, eating to maintain. You then get to the point where I am right now and I'm uh, I'm three bit years post all my treatment, and I had all the treatment. I had surgery, I had chemo, I had radio, I had a third of my tongue taken, I had uh, tumours, um, uh, tumor, sorry, not tumours, uh, both my tonsils, um, 30 lymph nodes and a neck dissection. So I had the, the whole gambit. Um, I also had a second biopsy because they weren't too sure whether the treatment had actually worked and that biopsy, my friends, put me back 
months. And my, I can remember my surgeon saying to me, Vaughn, it's going to be brutal. Well, he wasn't kidding. It was certainly brutal. So if you're watching this on YouTube, you can see me. This is the manuscript, Living Your Best Food Life with Head and Neck Cancer Treatment. It's my e-guide. That is the manuscript. And it will be ready to launch on Amazon on World Head and Neck Cancer Day. Uh, however, I have a special edition and little bonus for people who subscribe to my website. Um, I have a copy for you, and it's going to be at a much reduced price than what it will be available for on Amazon. So, uh, in this guide, I take you through my three-step process. As I mentioned earlier, I pretty much have written um, a program and this e-guide which distills down the whole process around what I discovered um, with having my treatment and how I managed the whole process, the eating to survive, the eating to maintain and the eating to live. And I broke this down into three steps and the three steps are the process, all the things that I did to get me to where I am now, the cooking, and I'm sorry for those that don't like cooking, but you have to learn some basic cooking skills because if you don't, you're going to be eating baby food that tastes like bland carrot for the rest of your life. And the third thing is the doing. What I actually did physically, mentally and spiritually to get me to where I am now. So... That's my guide. That's what I'm talking about um, in this episode today. And some of the things that I, I had to tackle were, you know, the physical things they don't tell you about, like transitional foods, like practicing stretching and yoga to make sure that your mouth opening is uh, capable of opening it enough to put a spoon or a fork of food into your actual actual mouth so you can actually swallow. No one told me that I wasn't going to be able to open my mouth wide enough to, to actually physically put a spoonful of food into it to swallow. So that was just one part of the whole process. Um, there were other things like transitional foods. No one told me about them and I found them and learnt them. Uh, on my own. So I talk about that in my um, e-guide as well. The process. The process, what I talk about in the process is the four-step process I used. If you've got a peg tube and you're trying to get back to oral eating, it's the four-step process that I used to do that. Um, you'd think that was fairly simple, wouldn't you? Stop using your peg and just start putting it in your mouth. But if you have been, like I was, any amount of time where you haven't actually physically put anything in your mouth apart from a toothbrush and a bit of toothpaste, maybe some um, you know, anti-dryness gel or mouthwash, there's a whole process around learning how to get back to oral eating again and learning how to use your mouth and your tongue and your lips and your teeth. Um, I also talk about the five P's to making progress. The five P's that I uh, used to make sure that 
I knew I was making food progress. And that's all from a, um, a culinary point of view to a visual point of view to an auditory point of view. All those things you need to take into consideration when you're learning how to eat again. I talk about the, um, the four S's to peg transitioning. They are the culinary S's that I refer to that helped me get back from physically putting things in my peg to physically putting things in my mouth. Four S's I talk about there and the three-step process to meal planning. Uh, what they don't teach you or show you or talk about, uh, I find, in the treatment process uh, is how to actually meal plan, how to actually go and shop, how to actually work out what meals are going to work for you. How do you know that? How do you know what food to go and buy at the supermarket? There aren't aisles that say, you know, come over here, Joe. This is the protein aisle. These are the things that you can buy in your hometown or your country or your local market that fit in with those things that you're meant to be eating to make sure that you're making progress and meeting your nutritional milestones, um, your dietetic milestones, in terms of your treatment and how best to work towards that goal. In the cooking area of my e-guide, I talk about the principles of cooking. Now, if you're not a chef or you're not a cook or you're not a foodie, uh, and I know there are a lot of people out there that aren't, I am because that's my passion and that's what I do, I talk about the basic principles of cooking. Do you know what they all are? Do you know how to use them? What's the best way for you? And if you're like me, uh, the, the cooking methods that are best are the ones that keep things moist and liquid and don't dry food out. Um, you know, for me, for a very long time and really now still, uh, roasting and baking aren't the best ways for me to have eaten, but poaching and sautéing and pressure cooking were. So I talk about... Uh, the principles of cookery, the basic French principles of cookery. Take you through that so you actually know you've actually got some choices there and you know where you can be looking to prepare your food. I talk about the five mother sauces. Sauce. If you don't know your sauces, then it's going to be difficult for you because most of us need a sauce of some description on our food to ensure that we can swallow it and also chew it to some degree. <clears throat> the importance of stock and soup, uh, and choosing recipes for meal planning, how you go about doing that, what sort of things you've got to be looking at. And in the third process, or step, I talk about the doing. The six strategies of social eating, what they look like, what sort of things you should be looking out for to... Ensure that you're taking baby steps towards getting out and eating socially again. I talk about eating and drinking with others, the things that I did to make that process a bit easier. Uh, and when I say easier, let's be honest, none of this is easy. This all takes planning, dedication and commitment to cause to get back to social eating and doing something with your food again that's um, in any way, shape or form remotely social. 
I talk about creating elevator pitch, and if you don't know what an elevator pitch is, um, I've done a whole series on this, and I think it was about episode nine, maybe, on the No Feeding Tube show, and social eating cards. And I also talk about being social again and the social eating checklist, which is a bonus in the e-guide. I also give you um, a copy of it here in this episode. I'll put a link here so you can have a look at that too. Um, Anyway, that's today's episode. I hope you got something out of that, but there are three very... That's my cat trying to get in the cat flap, and he's a bit angry with me because it's cold outside, and I locked him out because he's being naughty. Um, The e-guide is uh, going to be available officially on July the 27th, but if you subscribe to my email... Um, list I can give you a copy at a very discounted price plus a special bonus so people I hope you got something out of that Um, as always feel free to drop me a line eat well and uh, if you're enjoying the show um, have a look at um, subscribing to my podcast and or my YouTube and um, I look forward to seeing you in the next episode okay take care everyone eat well see you soon